This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. It is a Monday, the 23rd of October. Here's what we've got for you today. Going to kick off with one of our top talking points this morning. The issue of fake reviews. The likes of TripAdvisor, Expedia, Amazon have got together to try and fight fake reviews. We've been getting various different perspectives on this from various different experts. Also talking about warehouses this morning, the fact that demand is booming, particularly in Dubai, but also in Abu Dhabi. Sharjah also not doing too shabby as well. Going to get the thoughts of Swapnil Pillai of the consultancy Savills. What else? Uh, talking about salaries this morning, always a subject that gets people talking. A Tedra Fool of Mercer, the HR consultancy, their latest research on salaries is out. We've got Amir Kolazadeh from the cybersecurity company ITSEC talking about those fake reviews and also Debsana Chakrabati, Vice President, Growth and Expansion for this region at Mfiltrate, talking about fakes as well. All that to come. We've got a strong eye on fakes this morning. We've had not one but two experts in the studio talking about fakes who have both said something that we could call a meerkat moment here on the Business Breakfast. They agreed with each other um, on quite an eye-watering, back-of-the-envelope sort of gut-feeling number of where we are with fakes in the UAE. But first, why were we discussing fakes in the first place, Tom? Because uh, there's a coalition that's being created over, well, it's 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 without borders. The coalition, uh, it's basically coming together of some of the big names: Amazon, Booking.com, Expedia, etc. Uh, they've all come together to create this coalition. Uh, it's got a quite uh, a cool name as well: the Coalition for Trusted Reviews. Creative. Um, they are coming together to share best practices, share intelligence, and try and fight the good fight against fake reviews. So they're taking on the fake reviews. Uh, there is uh, an increase in fake reviews uh, with an increase in the adap- uh, adoption of AI uh, for personal use. Uh, and we're seeing organizations uh, using it for underhand means amongst other words to try and get uh, one up on competition in the market um so the coalition are going okay cool well if that's going to happen we're going to use ai for a better practice and they're going to try and use ai to combat those fake reviews as well yeah and we asked our two experts from the it security and sort of from the the online um e-commerce uh services world what percentage of reviews in the uae they thought were genuine who do we speak to first uh, first up was Amir uh, Kolazadeh, uh, the founder and the CEO of uh, ITSEC. ITSEC. Um, he joined us in studio. Um, and, yeah, there were all sorts of numbers doing the rounds at the moment. Dini, your your number was 3.6%. Who was that? So that TripAdvisor did some research yeah. on what percentage of reviews are fake. And they came up with a much smaller number of 3.6%. And they shut down tens of thousands of um, I, I guess, outlets, restaurants, hotels, whatever it may be, or didn't shut them down. They they removed them from the platform by having fake reviews. But yeah, their number was so much lower than Amir's, 3.6%. UK government report put it at 15%. So we had a 3.6, we had a 15. We asked Amir, if you were to sort of judge this part of the world, how many reviews in the UAE are genuine? I mean, there is no, uh, obviously, statistics about that out there. 
I think probably around 40 to 50 percent. A genuine? Yes. So half, half. Yes. That was interesting. That was this sort of meerkat moment. That got us thinking. Uh, also had Deb Senna Chakraborty join us, Vice President of Growth and Expansion, Mina, for M-Filter It. They advise companies on how to uh, spot bad and fake reviews as well. Uh, we put that, Amir number two, Deb Senna, and said, what do you make of it? I would keep it at the same level. Uh, we have done this uh, exercise with some of the larger brands in the market. And when we pulled out the reviews, even on Google, we have seen a lot of reputations, a lot of clustering on a particular date. And we really realized that maybe quite close to, let's say, 60% were fake. So that's quite a big number. And there are companies out there willing to sell reviews uh, for, for very little money. So all these companies, uh, uh, especially the smaller ones, are going into either uh, praise themselves and then malign competition or just cluster a lot of reviews during a release. So this is this is quite prevalent. And that seemed to be the buzzword of the morning, cluster. I always have to be really careful <laughs> when I say it. The, the number of 40 to 50%, again, you, you mentioned, Tom, what, was it Jennifer, one of our listeners, wrote in saying, I'm gobsmacked that nearly half reviews are fake. I... Amir's brilliant, and I really like him and respect him, and Deb Sino gave a great interview. I don't think half the reviews in the UAE are fake. I think it's nearer to 10-ish percent. But I've, I've got no evidence for that. It's mm. just my hunch. But I do trust them, and I do believe them. And we had this conversation earlier, didn't we? Do you actually care about reviews? And Brandy and I do. You do not particularly look at reviews on the likes of TripAdvisor or Amazon or whatever it is and base your decisions based on that. But but I do. And Brandy, you have a look, don't you? Mm. I do. There's a fine line, though, between having a quick look and thinking, OK, yeah, 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 seems legit, and really going down the rabbit hole. Mm. I'm scared to ask Serena Kelly because we asked her this morning at about 6am and we just learnt... Baby shot. Yeah, what? some scary things about her shopping about habits. No, like it's a shark blanket. Like it looks like a onesie. But yeah, no products. Definitely look at reviews. Restaurants. I don't give them a second thought. I'll just base. I'll be like, that looks nice, or I'm going to check it out and have form my own opinion. But yeah, definitely, hundred percent products. I need to see if people have like, yes, I've bought from here and it's it's okay. The material's fine or something like that. Clothes, I do because people will say oh, it fits a bit small or it fits a bit big or go one size smaller or larger and that thing's always very useful. Yeah, 100%. Otherwise, yeah, I won't purchase it otherwise. So those are two interviews we've done this morning, two of our experts agreeing with each other. Very quickly, excellent interview this morning with Swapnil Polite of Savills talking about another world's richest property list. But it's not villas. This is brilliant. This is a Dubai real estate boom. And I know it's says, OK, yeah, Dubai real estate boom, blah, blah, blah. We've heard it all before. This was warehouses. It was a completely new take on it from the guys at Savills, the brokerage and consultancy. I wouldn't have thought they were in the warehouse space unless they were like velvet lined. Who knew? But they are very much in the warehouse space. And they've done an analysis of 52 global warehouse markets from London and New York to Dubai and Abu Dhabi. 
someone thought that was a good idea and got signed off with a budget for it. But they did the research and it turns out Dubai is seventh and Abu Dhabi is 14th. We've been speaking to Swapnil. Can we hear from him now? Or We can. We can. Here he housing and uh, multifamily apartments have been the favoured investment asset classes over the last three or four years. And has also seen significant demand from occupiers as well, wherein occupancy levels have increased across most of the cities. So the rents as a result have been growing across these warehousing hubs uh, over the last uh, 24 to uh, 36 months. And last year, when we looked at the numbers, the rental values on an average across these 52 global cities had increased by almost 8.4%. And this time around, the numbers have gone up by almost 10.1% across the 52 global cities that we track. And and Dubai and Abu Dhabi, which are two cities in the UAE that you look at, are doing well. So Dubai is the seventh most expensive city to rent warehousing space in the world at $20 per square foot. Abu Dhabi is 14th, significantly cheaper, at around about $14 per square foot. You say London is the most expensive market. Exactly. So London is the most expensive market as of now in terms of the per square square footage cost of occupying a grade A warehousing space. And like you said, Dubai has uh, maintained its position as the seventh most expensive warehousing market globally. Now, in terms of Dubai, the occupier demand side has shifted over the last two or three years. So, Right after the pandemic, we see a lot of we saw a lot of demand from existing companies looking at consolidating and uh, probably expanding their uh, operations within the city. And we also saw a bit of a relocation from companies who were based out of Sharjah or Rasul Khaima relooking at Dubai to set up their warehousing base. But after the pandemic, we have seen a clear shift in demand from new companies entering into the market, especially. Uh, driven by uh, the China Plus One strategy, for example, and also the all the comprehensive economic uh, partnership agreements that the UAE is uh, kind of signing with uh, emerging economies. Okay, let's talk about the Dubai market in particular, because there's a big change happening at the moment in terms of warehousing. Al-Khaz, the traditional industrial zone of Dubai for both manufacture, but also for warehousing and logistics and distribution. And yet, increasingly, that's home to a lot of creative companies. I'm looking at a a, a press release from two years ago now, April 2021. His Highness Sheikh Hamdan bin Mohammed launches the Al-Khaz Creative Zone. This idea that Al-Khaz, some of those warehouses, can be repurposed to home creative companies like media companies or, or design companies. How significant is that change? So it's a very interesting point. I think uh, the way to look at it is maybe one from the occupier standpoint. So occupiers are moving towards more sustainable as well as grade A assets and some of the developments in Al-Khuz maybe not meet those criteria. So you will see a lot more companies eventually moving out of Al-Khuz to some of these grade A, grade A new built assets uh, in Dubai South and other parts of the uh, other parts of the city and also from a uh, purely from a real estate location perspective Alcuz is uh, right in the middle of the city and if you look at other global cities you typically have warehouses in the outskirts of the city or closer to major infrastructure uh, hubs and uh, you have smaller last minute delivery centers closer to the city center so we might see a lot more last mile delivery centers being located across Alcuz while uh, the rest of this, uh, the, the, the micro market gets repurposed into more uh, to making more place making for uh, other social activities and, and this has happened in cities throughout the world if we think let's take New York as an example you know Manhattan used to be an industrial manufacturing hub I mean not that long ago a hundred years ago but of course the factories have shut down and they're now trendy apartments and bars and restaurants 
and the, the manufacturing has shifted much further outside the city. And we could tell that story about so many cities around the world. Is it simply that trend happening here in Dubai? Exactly. So regeneration in a lot of cases uh, should not be considered as a bad thing for the city because like you said, Manhattan is a very good example. It got repurposed and uh, repurposed into things that are being useful or or, or current as of, as of date. So Alkus will go through that regeneration process wherein because it's right in the middle of the city center, you might see a bit more apartments coming up. You will see a lot more cool co-working, uh, you know, uh, offices maybe coming up there. So there's a lot of potential for that area to be regenerated into more than just being a warehousing hub. It's a really good interview because there's a lot happening. I'm speaking a little and listen to myself. It's really interesting about warehouses that people are thinking, what? But because what's happening in Alcoz in Dubai is really interesting because it's being repurposed. Sheikh Hamdan, the Crown Prince, said a couple of years ago, we want this to be the new creative zone of Dubai. And that's happened. The gentrification of former industrial zones has happened around the world. And it's happening here in Dubai at the moment. So there's a, a lot to unpick there. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. All right, we are talking salaries this morning. Mercer's Total Remuneration Survey uh, is going to be released in a couple of hours in the studio. To give us a sneak peek, we have the company's regional career and workforce products business leader, Ted Rafool. Ted, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Brandy. Remind us what you're measuring here and how you measure it. Sure. So we run an annual total remuneration survey across over 100 countries in the world. Uh, And as you mentioned, we're releasing uh, currently the UAE edition of that survey. We collect data from over 600 organizations in the UAE, covering about 200,000 employees. Um, And that survey basically covers all types of different compensation elements, uh, allowances, benefits, and some of the practices that uh, HR uh, HR, uh, teams have in the UAE. Which is why we care so deeply about it. Let's start with the the headline number first, if you like. What are UAE companies budgeting for in terms of pay rises? Sure. So our general market pay increase uh, budgeted for 2024 is 4.2%. Uh, that varies, however, by industry, by type of uh, by type of uh, uh, sector, uh, by city sometimes as well. But generally, it's a four point two percent increase. Okay, so when you say it varies by industry, what can you tell me about that? Uh, so some industries have uh, had more pressure on talent than others. Uh, and the reality also is that the uh, how, how a business does and performs also has a strong effect on how much they can pay their employees. If a business is performing better uh, than, than another or an industry performing better than another, then of course they can afford to, to provide higher salaries. There's also typically as a result more competition for talent within that space as well. Okay, so which industries are likely to be above their average in the next year? Yeah, so uh, what you typically see is you'll see industries in the tech tech space, in the uh, healthcare and life sciences space, uh, energy uh, tend to be above. Uh, above. Uh, you have uh, hospitality and you have also, uh, to be honest, some uh, industries or sorry, some job families where you tend to see uh, higher pay rises than almost any in, in any sector. Uh, so, for example, tech or digital jobs are in demand across different sectors, not just within the digital or tech industry. So some of these jobs, some of the the coders, engineers, or programmers, these type of uh, positions tend to demand a higher increase than others. Which might fall below the average if it's an average? Yes. You have certain jobs, and this is where we start talking a bit about AI. You probably hear a lot about that, but there are certain jobs and uh, that have a lot of tasks that can be automated. And these are the type of jobs uh, where... 
we will start seeing over time a bit of a decline in the demand. At the end of the day, jobs, I mean, the reason we call human resources is uh, it's all about supply and demand. So the, the reason we pay a certain amount for a particular job is because uh, because of supply and demand uh, uh, forces. And if there's less demand for a particular skill set, as a result, you'll pay less for that. Okay, so you guys do this remuneration survey every year. And you're also speaking to some of the biggest employers on a daily basis. They're your clients. Has pay been keeping up with inflation here? I guess it depends, but I would say this year, probably not so much. Um, now, if you look at the official statistics on inflation in the UAE, uh, by me official, if you look at Central Bank, you look at what IMF is saying, etc., you'll see inflation hovering around 3 to 4%, right? So technically, if companies are providing 4.2% increase, that should be covering it. The reality, however, there's a lot of doubt that some of these statistics that come out on inflation. I think a lot of us have felt that uh, housing prices in particular have increased way more than, the, than that. Uh, we also run our own cost of living reports. You know, we, we presented some, some of the data from these reports uh, on this show as well in the past. Our reports show that actually Dubai in particular is the, the major city with the second highest growth in housing or raise their prices in the world after Singapore. Um, now, why, why isn't that reflected necessarily in inflation figures? That's typically because inflation figures looks at a certain pattern of spending, a certain basket of goods and services that is not necessarily representative of the wider population in the UAE. Is it being reflected, though, in what people are getting in housing allowances? Are housing allowances increasing? So that, that's a very good question. That's something we've done an analysis on. So we looked at the last peak uh, when it came to housing losses. For those of us that were here in the UAE uh, back then, that was around 2014, 2015, uh, after announcement of the Expo 2020, um, where housing prices were very high. If you look at current prices versus 2015, we actually see that they're almost aligned. So the question is, um, have companies actually reduced their losses since then? If so, then they're probably, they should, probably should look at potentially revisiting those allowance amounts. If, however, companies have not really adjusted what they provide as housing analysis since 2015, have kept it the same, then they're probably more or less on par with where they used to be. Okay, so what does your survey say is happening to these different allowances? Our survey, however, shows that there has not been much movement yet on this. But again, uh, the reality is that we, as I mentioned, we are at the peak. We're back at the, at the peak that we used to be on. The question is, will companies start to react to it next year? But so far, we haven't seen much movement. Okay, so does the survey say that housing allowances are flat? Correct. What does it say about other allowances, transport allowances, for example? More or less flat as well. A slight increase, but more or less flat as well. So not much of a movement when it comes to any allowances this year. Why aren't we seeing any? I think uh, what we saw is that last year, uh, given uh, we had a bit of a correction when it comes to uh, uh, salaries. We had a bit of a higher increase in the pre- last year versus uh, the previous years, obviously. I felt uh, many companies this year did not really feel uh, the need to provide a bigger increase. And again, uh, the reality also is that it's all about affordability for businesses. So you, you, won't dis- you won't be able to provide a salary increase if you can't afford to do so. So if your business is not growing at a rate of more than 4%, it will be very difficult to increase your fixed costs, which is what salaries typically tend to be, by more than that percentage as well. Okay, so are you saying that companies aren't growing more than 4%, that they can't afford to increase salaries? Uh, if you look at the GDP growth figures for the year in the UAE, I mean, last year we were looking at over 7%, which was uh, great, and but that, w- that was obviously a bit of a correction uh, post-COVID. This year we're back down to about 4%, so uh, again, very much in line with what we're seeing for salary increases as well. Okay.
Uh, what about bonuses? What have we seen in terms of companies paying out bonuses and their plans to do so next year, how it's structured? So this is where we've seen actually some some positives. Uh, so when we look at bonuses, when we collect bonuses in our survey, we obviously uh, collect what was paid out this year, but that's obviously from last year's based on last year's performance, as you can imagine. So um, based on that last year's performance, what was paid out this year when it comes to bonuses, most industries, most companies, I would say, probably paid out more than they intended to, more than what their target amount uh, was uh, was intended to. Uh, so quite a positive news there. Okay. What have companies told you about their hiring plans, which I know is one of the other things you look at in this survey? Yes. Yeah, so we're seeing actually uh, a large number of companies looking at uh, growing uh, their headcount over the coming year. Uh, we're seeing, however, that that tends to be more focused towards certain uh, type of job families, certain type of jobs. Um, but it looks like uh, you know there's a very strong positive momentum uh, for companies, and we're looking at uh, most companies are looking at uh, a growth and uh, headcount. Okay, which jobs? Which jobs? So we're talking in, uh, generally engineering jobs, uh, sales, always sales and marketing, and product management always tend to be up there as well. Uh, digital related job. Now, what does digital mean? Digital doesn't just mean your tech jobs in terms of, you know, do I know how to code? Uh, digital also means around how you how can you digitize the whole experience, the customer experience, who, how you sell your product, how you go to your customer, how you how you improve your customer experience, uh, the user interface, etc. Very quickly, 30 seconds left. What are companies not hiring for? Where have you heard that there will be less hiring? What we're seeing is that the jobs which we intend to see, that we uh, pl- plan on having automated through AI, are some of the jobs that we're going to see less and less uh, of hiring. We're talking about jobs, obviously, in uh, admin. We're talking uh, potentially blue-collar jobs as more robotation automation will come into play. Uh, we're talking some jobs in customer service. All jobs will be affected, to be honest, but those are the main ones. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Ted Rafool is the Regional Career and Workplace Products products Business Leader um, at Mercer, talking to us about the results of their total remuneration survey. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Where we are talking about the economics of fakes. Because major online firms, including Amazon, Booking.com, Expedia, TripAdvisor and others have joined forces. They have united to fight fake reviews. Let's get some more insights on this. Amar Kolazadeh is the founder and CEO of ITSEC here in Dubai. It's an online, it's not online, it's a cybersecurity firm. Amar, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, uh, guys. Thanks for having me. How big a problem are fake reviews? Well, uh, it seems to be getting bigger and bigger by the day as more companies or more people who sell their products online try to use fake uh, reviews to to promote their products to the consumer groups. So uh, according to the latest survey, it's 30% of all reviews out there are fake. That's that's a huge number. That's a big number, isn't it? And and with, with AI and chatbots, it's a lot easier now than it was two years ago, isn't it? If you own a restaurant, for example, you can A, do lots of really positive reviews for your restaurant, or B, you can do lots of really negative reviews for the guy next door, your competitor. And that happens, doesn't it? 
Exactly, and and that's a great point that you mentioned. The negative reviews, Sam, the the offensive uh, negative reviews seems to be the biggest problem. Is when the com- competitors go after each other with the negative reviews. That seems to be the, that's what blundering the market. So uh, it, it, it's a huge mark. It's a huge problem. Uh, when 90% of uh, consumers use reviews to make a purchase or a decision. So that's that makes a big difference in how you form your uh, online uh, purchasing habits. Definitely, that makes a difference. I'm looking at the transparency report from TripAdvisor, which is a restaurant and hotel review company, Correct. as we know. It revealed that of the 26 million reviews submitted to the website... <laughs> at least a million reviews were fake. So it's a small number. They say it's only about 4% of reviews are fake. Right. But, and and, then, and they, they make efforts to remove them. But 4% is not zero, is it? No, definitely it's not zero. And I, I don't think that I agree with that number. I, I think that that number has been filtered. Uh, so, you know, by, by looking at saying, okay, uh, these were really not really fake, but there were unsatisfied uh, c- customers who were really didn't have a legitimate reasons. You see what I mean? That number is, is, is filtered. I, I think that number should be up more around probably about <laughs> three or four million <laughs> by the time it gets down because they do a lot of filtering and, and, and they put a very pure net number out there. So, but yeah, it, it's a huge uh, industry problem at the moment. Okay, so different views on whether or not these reviews count. We were talking about this earlier, and I know you heard our conversation. Let's just remind ourselves what some of our colleagues said. Do do, do reviews matter or not? This is Tom Urquhart, our, our colleague. He's not a big fan of reviews. Brandy Scott's DJ this morning. Can we hear from Tom? Yeah, I don't read reviews. I prefer word of mouth. and I know that they're one and the same, really, but if someone's been somewhere and they can vouch for it and I sort of trust them I don't I don't trust reviews so Tom doesn't really trust reviews however this is Serena Kelly our colleague our newsreader this morning who takes a huge amount of attention when it comes to reviews not just for services like restaurants and hotels but also for products for merch for me it's products like I will definitely go through the view the reviews but I will be able to spot one that's been sort of like subtly asked to write something or as in like paid for I I don't know I've just got a sixth sense I'm like that's fake that's fake that's fake that's why I'm saying product reviews are really important to me Serena Kelly so Amo back to you this morning how do we spot those fake reviews and let's talk about products for a second because we're um, we're on the second floor of a building in Dubai Media City the third floor is Amazon.com so our friends are upstairs (laughs) good morning uh, to the team at, at Amazon what about reviews for products. Yes, and uh, obviously Amazon is the biggest uh, uh, online retailer that battles with these fake reviews out there. Uh, um, the product reviews uh, seem to be uh, very difficult to, to detect, but there are some things you can do. At the moment, big, bigger companies such as eBay, Amazon, they are launching new AI technology to detect and remove. How do you uh, detect it? How do you know what's fake? <laughs> I'll tell you in a minute. Plus, another thing is negative censorship. 
uh, that that companies go out and re- actually remove the negative reviews for the products on their website. So that's another problem that is out there that exists. However, in order to detect it as a, as a person, look for genuine writing. I think that anyone that has gotten one of those fake emails in the past could certainly spot a fake review. Usually they're written with uh, spelling mistakes. They're not very detailed. They're black and white comparisons. Uh, me as a consumer, when I, if I choose to write a review, I'll be more detailed. I'll talk about the little thing that was wrong with this product, not the over general uh, you know, looks of it. Uh, th- those are the things that you can detect and dig into the reviewer uh, background of profile to see how many reviews they've left uh, and see if those other reviews match the writings of this one. So there are little things that you can do, but that's really time consuming, I agree. <laughs> What what about friends and family? I'm thinking about uh, I'm thinking about you, Brandy Scott. I'm thinking about your book, Not Bad People, which I genuinely enjoyed, and it came out a few years ago now. It's a cracking book. It's a novel, and I I written a couple of reviews. I think maybe one on Amazon, uh, a couple of others, and I, I said I really liked it. But I know Brandy, so is that really impartial? Where do we sit with things like that? It's, it's difficult to say, yes, but uh, but how many people do you going to get to re- leave a review from family and friends? Let's say 20, 30, 100. You know, I think that when reviews matter, they're when on a consumer side and on a product side, when they're over 100, you know, 500 or 1,000, that's when the really a review makes a difference. If I'm looking at to buy a book and has 10 reviews, maybe I personally, from my personal experience, I might walk away from it or try to download a sample and read it myself and not make the review the decision uh, making factor in my purchase. Brandy, your thoughts on the reviews that your your book has had, the good, the bad and the ugly? Oh, gosh, I try not to look, to be honest, because you could drive <laughs> yourself absolutely crazy. I am interested in, though, Emma, what percentage of reviews here in the UAE do you think, gut sense, are genuine? Oh, my God. Uh, there is no, uh, obviously, statistics about that out there. Um I think probably around 40 to 50 percent. A genuine? Yes. So half, half. Yes. That's shocking. Yes, because the reason I say this number, it comes from a personal, the, on a monthly basis, we're contacted with, actually, I had a writer who contacted me, just like yourself, who had a book. And so, I mean, a group of people just went after this guy with just most horrible reviews. And he was asking us to help him to remove these reviews. And uh, so, uh, yes, I think that, that half of the reviews out there are just negative competition reviews here. Um, uh, it's a scary thought, but I appreciate you being candid and honest with us this morning. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. The thoughts of Amar Kalazadeh. He's the founder and CEO of the cybersecurity firm ITSEC based here in Dubai. Amar, thanks very much indeed for your time. Thank you, guys. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Right, let's continue our conversation about all things fake reviews. Uh, major online firms, including uh, Amazon, Booking.com, Expedia, TripAdvisor and others have uh, united to fight fake Reviews, the group which also includes Workplace Reviews, Site Glassdoor uh, and others, are going to share information on deterring fraudsters. It follows concerns that chatbot-like AI systems are being used to write bogus online reviews for profit. Uh, There are moves uh, over in the UK, over in the US and further afield to create this alliance, if you like, uh, to fight uh, the um, fake reviews. Uh, In the UK, it's going to be called the Coalition for Trusted Reviews. 
Is there going to be something similar here in the UA? Do we need it? Uh, well, let's uh, put that uh, to our next guest. Mfilter it is a tech-driven company which helps digital brands at every stage of their growth journey in the digital ecosystem. Uh, their vice president, uh, growth uh, and expansion for the MENA region is Debsena Chakraborty, who joins us now live on the line. Debsena, thanks very much indeed for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, I mean, you specialise in e-commerce, brand reputation, fraud detection. First and foremost, your reaction to this coming together of this coalition of some of the biggest uh, online e-commerce stores at the moment to fight fake reviews. Are fake reviews that much of an issue? It is. It is a very big issue and uh, it is it is a step towards the right direction that these guys have decided that they needed uh, a coalition to come in and look at trusted reviews. Because if you go across all these marketplaces or, or the likes of TripAdvisor, etc., the number of fake reviews have risen uh, exponentially in the last couple of years. So this this kind of brought in a different set of problems, wherein people like ourselves, we look to add reviews and then decide whether we want to buy a product or not, and we are being scammed. And this is not this is not limited to one platform. Every single platform has this problem. It's interesting, us trying to put a number on things here this morning. We've had some reviews from the likes of TripAdvisor suggesting it's just shy of 4% could be fake reviews. Uh, a recent government report uh, over in the United Kingdom finding that bogus reviews of products alone could cost UK consumers around £312 million sterling a year. That's up to 15% of all reviews on e-commerce platforms uh, were probably fake, said that report. And we've had a little uh, take on this one this morning already. Uh, in fact, Let's get to uh, the thoughts from Amir Kolazadeh, the founder and the CEO of ITSEC. Uh, he was on a little earlier on. Richard put to him uh, the question about how many reviews in the UAE are genuine, and this is what he had to say. I mean, there is no, uh, obviously, statistics about that out there. I think probably around 40 to 50 percent. Are genuine? Yes. So half, half? Yes. 40 to 50 percent. How much would you put the percentage at, Deb Center? Uh, I would keep it at the same level. Uh, we have done this uh, exercise with some of the larger brands in the market. And when we pulled out the reviews, even on Google, we have seen a lot of reputations, a lot of clustering on a particular date. And we really realized that maybe quite close to, let's say, 60% were fake. So that's quite a big number. And there are companies out there willing to sell reviews uh, for, for very little money. So all these companies, uh, uh, especially the smaller ones, are going in to either uh, praise themselves and then malign competition or just cluster a lot of reviews during a release. So this is, this is quite prevalent. The generation of fake reviews seems to be fairly straightforward. It's fairly easy for, for those that want to do it. Why is tackling them so difficult? Uh, tackling them is difficult because it's a very, very scattered network. Everybody uses some or the other methodology, but when you when you're looking at patterns, when you are when you are accessing more reviews, like more the volume, the better your AI engine can detect. But again, there are some very small players who are actually going to give you less than hundred reviews, and uh, they might actually write it like a actual human being doing it. So those things can happen. Uh, let's not forget that reviews are not just restricted to these e-commerce sites. All the social media sites are also included here. Mm. You will have 
influencers reviewing you will have uh, user generated content on, on youtube uh, those those are not i mean it's user generated content you can't really do much about it so that's the reason it becomes so much more difficult a lot of people suggesting that AI is one of the reasons to blame here. AI creating fake reviews is one of the suggestions. Can we use AI to detect fake reviews? We are. Uh, at Enfiltrid, we are using uh, AI to detect fake reviews. But AI has made the work much easier than it was before. Earlier, it used to be somebody would write a piece of content, send it out to multiple different influencers, or use their bot accounts, and just keep pushing it. Uh, right now, AI can generate different reviews and make it look so different from each other, and it, it makes life simpler. So AI makes life simpler for the good players and also the bad players. I mentioned these the new group that's being set up, Coalition for Trusted Reviews, um, looking to set you know best international practices here. Is collaboration key here in fighting this fight? Absolutely. What we have seen in fighting fraud on uh, in, in the digital ecosystem is the fact that if you have more data, if you have information coming from all uh, all all other networks towards you, you have you you can fight it better. So you know that this is coming. You know where those fake reviews are originating from, and therefore any collaboration. Let's say today Amazon has got more reviews than the likes of Noon. But if Amazon is willing to share saying that, you know, these IPs, we see a lot of fake reviews coming in and, and Noon is better prepared to counter those, I think overall the ecosystem is going to get cleaner. It is going to be helpful for everybody. You mentioned there the word share as well, the sharing of intelligence, the sharing of best practices as well. Uh, are these companies renowned for sharing information? Uh, I don't think so, but I would hope that now that they're coming together to fight, uh, you know, common enemy, they might actually want to share information only on those uh, aspects. And from an unfiltered point of view, I mean, I know it's very difficult to have one piece of advice for one organisation and obviously fake reviews come in so many different areas and uh, quite often are out of certain jurisdictions as well. But if you have advice for any business uh, owner out there listening into the show this morning or watching the show this morning, what are the red flags to be aware of? So absolutely look for clustering. Uh, it might be a date cluster wherein a lot of reviews are coming during a similar date. Uh, it can be words, uh, same words repeating itself. Uh, it can be, it can be uh, you know, the users don't exist if you want to go and see which users uh, are posting those reviews. And the best part is all these platforms allow you uh, to complain. If you think a review is fake, you can actually raise a complaint, whether it's on your on your product or on your on anybody else's product. You can just raise a complaint and say that these reviews are fake. You would want to take it down, and there is a recourse for that. Deb Senna, can't thank you enough for your time this morning. Uh, Deb Senna, uh, Tracker Brought is the Vice President, Growth and Expansion, MENA Region for uh, M Filterit, joining us live on the line and live via Microsoft Teams, continuing the conversation on fake reviews. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.